This is episode 14 with actors Claire and Alana Saunders. This is Magical Humans, and I am Vanya Vananina. I am an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Hi, Alana and Claire. How are you? Thank you for being here. Yeah, hi. Here, <laughs> or being here and you're there, but here together. Here together, yes. So uh, <laughs> tell us, where are you right now? Both of you are in New York, right? Yeah, we live uh, in New York City. Uh, we live uptown. We're about 20 blocks away from each other right now <laughs> in our respective apartments. That's so cool. So first of all, people need to know you are twins. Correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Identical Correct. twins. As identical as they come, really. And then, but Claire is the baby because she was born 23 minutes after. Correct? That, yeah. Wow. Who, who, where did you, oh, did you, did you research on our website? Of course I did. <laughs> I want to be prepared and know all the things. <laughs> Perfect. And you both grew up in Seattle, the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. And you're two of five siblings that are super talented and musical. Correct? <laughs> I get, yes. <laughs> yes, definitely with the musical. We all, you know, started playing instruments at very young ages and continue now all five of us have music in our careers. And is this because you were your parents musical or did you just came out of the womb like singing and dancing like what ha- like what happened? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so my parents met in music in college. Um, they were actually part of a music group together, the first integrated music group on at the University of Virginia. Anyway, and they met there. And then so when we were born, it was pretty much a, from the womb. We learned how to sing, play instruments, be musical, um, just because it's a part of the fabric of our childhood actually it sounds like it was super I just imagine you like was everything a musical act like when you woke up were you like good morning and then everyone was like singing and doing choreography (laughs) like going to school was it like every part of your family gatherings were they just like so musical uh, I mean, people would ask us to sing together all the time or do things together. It, it really wasn't quite as like joyful as that makes it sound. I would say that maybe when we were younger, it was a little bit more like that when we were being brought up in music. But as soon as there were like our own decisions to be made by way of how our time is spent, it wasn't spent as much together. I would say we must, we have much more for lack of a better term, harmony within our relationships now. And uh, it's much more of that kind of giddy musical lifestyle, I would say now than it was when we were growing up. But we, we found that we, so we were singing and playing instruments and we started dancing pretty young. Um, but then around the time Alon and I were like nine or 10, we started finding theater. And then, so we all started doing that both separately and together. And by that, I mean, it wasn't like we auditioned for things because our other siblings were. It was just that we We all all liked doing this thing. So we all did the thing at the same place. That is amazing (laughs) that because a part of me thought, well, you know, if their eldest brothers were like, oh, theater or musical theater is a cool thing. And you're like, oh, let's try it. But it seems like with all of you, it just came from within the music and the acting. And that is really lovely. 
Yeah, and you know, it, and I would actually, you know, class is that it wasn't as harmonious. But I think that we, you know, for the most part, always had fun. We, um, my mom got us into group voice lessons early with um, actually a gospel director. So we actually started singing gospel mu- music as a group, um, and we started, you know, when Claire and I were in high school, um, our senior project ended up being um, basically. My, my senior project, Ayalana, my project was to create an album, and that was all made of my brother Heath's music. And then Claire's project, right? Is this correct? No, it's the opposite. I think Claire's it's the other way around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Claire's senior project was to make the album, and my senior project was actually to turn that album into a concert. Um, and so that was actually, we didn't quite uh, perform together as a group solely until... Mm. I don't know, let's see, Claire and I were 15, and then so then respectively it was like 17, 18, and 19. Um, And before that, I mean, we were all in bands, I mean, in jazz bands, so we were in, uh, we performed as group, in other groups as such. I think, is that it, Claire? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the thing is, like, that's what I meant by it wasn't like as harmonious and let's do things together. It was like, we all have, this music as part of our lives you know but like our dad tried to uh force us well you know ask us but maybe force us to (laughs) (laughs) convince us to convince us better word to perform together but we didn't really have much of an interest in that but what about now wouldn't it be dreamy the five of you um i mean now we really have like our adult lives which makes it a little bit uh trickier you know blake is is building a career in Seattle as a music teacher and is making a impact there. And the four of us, yeah. And the four of us here, we have, you know, we, we hang out relatively often and we, every couple years try to have like a cabaret together and we check in with each other because the fact of the matter is being in this industry together is bigger than like just, you know, our little theater community in Kirkland. However, it's not, big enough for all of us to not be connected so our careers affect each other what we get cast in affects our other siblings so we try to stay connected in that way and stay in conversation with each other and in support of each other through all of that and recently we just started this thing called the Saunders Collective Mm -hmm. in which that's an active engagement with each other in our careers and everything that each of us does individually both helps ourselves, but also helps the collective as a whole, as both a brand, you know, and a family, because we realize that we can do nothing but really help each other. We're not, you know, people ask us all the time. They're like, is that hard to be in competition with your siblings? And I'm like, and, and all of us kind of have this same idea about it and that it's not really a competition. We all, we cultivated our parents um, our mom has cultivated an environment of support within us and between us and so anything that happens that where we are in direct competition and you know more recently we've gone in for the same things and um and we're figuring that out and navigating that but for the most part we really it's really just a, a huge support system and a wonderful like we're just so very lucky to have each other in our lives because it would be much harder without it. Already this career is very trying to keep your individuality and and, and be confident in who you are. And having your siblings by your side, especially with how close we are, is nothing but a benefit. I bet. And I was going to say, when you were saying that uh, whatever you 
apply to or whatever jobs you get, it affects everyone. I was thinking, you know, as you were talking like, oh, does this mean that if any of you up if you apply for the same, not, not apply, how do you say in theater? If you audition, audition. yes, not apply, I'm thinking of jobs, no. If you audition for the same role or the same play or, you know, I mean, of course, if you're a casting director, you see these two people that are unique individuals, yet, you know, they look alike because they're identical sisters, but you have <laughs> different talents and, you know, your own personalities. So I was thinking, oh, do they mean competition? But now, it, of course, it makes sense if you're this collective, but also you are a family, you're flesh and blood. What a lovely way to see it, because, you know, as in any family relationship, it's like a balance. If someone's not all right, then no one's all right. If someone is good, then the others can thrive. But it's it sounds like a really well-balanced perspective. With me, it's only me and I had only have one sibling, a younger brother, and we're four and a half years apart. And when you were talking about like, oh, well, it wasn't that harmonious, but I was just thinking... I, I got what you say, like, well, it was, but, you know, when you're growing up with your siblings, it's not all fun and games all the time, right? You want to kill each <laughs> yeah. other. But now we're adults now. My brother is a dad now. I feel like we get along even better because, uh -huh. yes, right? Like there's, we're grown ups now and, you know, we do our own thing, but I can only imagine how organic it must have been your upbringing, like being the five of you under the same roof and also going out in the world. And now, even though Blake is in Seattle and the four of you are in New York, it just sounds super interesting, at yeah. least from my perspective. Yeah, it's a, I mean, you know, the thing is, is like also when we were growing up, we're all pretty close in age. So like you're, you and your brother are four and a half years apart. We have five siblings spanning over that amount of time you know so growing up with that close in age I think affected that need to kind of establish older sibling and younger sibling when in fact like only being a year a year and a half apart from each other makes it so that's that distinct I mean that uh, line is not as clear right so but now that we're older and adults it's like we're allowed to be peers and it's actually really fun to be peers and that we can have the same friends and that's okay. And we could be in the same groups and that's okay. You know, we all be in the same age group. It's like, they're, you know, yeah. And so it's it, to transition into that has been, you know, really wonderful. I would say probably once we all got over, well, pretty much when we all got into the city, you know, all we were all over 21. I kind of make that the marker of like when you can go out and have a drink with someone is yes. when we're like <laughs> heading into a space of like, oh, let's talk as like people, not as siblings, uh, children with yeah. beer or siblings. Well, you know, and I feel like that's that's children the same with thing beer. With, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Children with beer. Yeah, I feel that's the same way with uh, with friends that you haven't seen in a while, too, that like when you get to interact as adults, you know, you're like, oh, I've had a life and you've had a life and we can actually have a conversation as like calm, grounded individuals and meet there, you know, which is a far more beneficial and supportive space to meet from. You are so good with words and how like you're just saying all of this and I'm picturing in my mind like this animation or this, no, like a live action of bringing of you guys and then going into the world of separate entities, but also like being together, not as children with beer, but as adults having a beer. <laughs> That's so cool. So um, 
let's see. I know that you also had a band, the five of you, and it was called Batch. And in every letter stands for your initials, right? So how did you come up with that? And when, how long ago was that? That was, so that, that name was created when Claire and I decided that we were going to, for our senior project, we were going to put together the group. So when we were performing before, so the first time we started singing together, my mom was the choir director at our church choir. We were the children's choir. So, and we were called Joyful Noises. And like, so that was when Claire and I were four, but we didn't actually start batch until our junior year of high school um and that that was created i don't know we just it, it seemed like an easy thing to create something from our names um mm. and you know something that re was just literally representative of our names and we figured we we tried out different words and we like i remember that session about figuring out what the um what the word was going to be you only have one vowel so Yeah, I'm yeah. the only guy. I know. <laughs> so, Alana and Claire, I know after your bringing up in Seattle, you went, you parted ways uh, for college. Claire went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh and Alana to University of Miami. So how was, why those choices and, and how was going to college being apart in completely different states and, you know, being your own individual without your twin by your side? Yeah, that was a very purposeful choice um, by... On Claire's part. <laughs> yeah, on my <laughs> part. Uh, I was pretty clear about wanting to do that. It was important to me, not just for the twin aspect of that, but Correct. also because of because of this family aspect. A lot of I were the youngest, you know, of five, and I specifically was the youngest of five. And so if I wasn't just a twin I was also a Saunders and that and so I always followed in my brother's footsteps and so I was we were both always known before we got anywhere and that experience was fine but I really craved being known as myself as an individual I wanted to have my own friends my own space you know I didn't let anyone from my family including my parents come visit for like an entire year wow. while I was in Pittsburgh, you know, because I was, I was really, um, it was very important to me that people didn't get confused. You know, I, I didn't like it when people got Alana and I confused all the time, you know, it's, it's, it throws you off of, of who you're trying to make yourself to be when you can't even be recognized for how you look, you know, because you have someone who looks, identical to you and so and you're an individual you know that's I'm not a twin I'm not in your shoes but from my perspective it sounds like it's a big challenge for identical twins because yeah they see them as like oh the twins and you are even though your body you know your physical appearance may look the same you're so you're like different universes in within of you Yeah, and especially with the, the fact of going to school, you know, while being frustrated and annoyed and, you know, sometimes hurt, let's 
say by people not being able to tell us apart. I also know that that's a part of our lives. And so I didn't want to continue to put myself in a situation where that would be a factor in my education. You know, so I knew that if we went to school together, there was no way that everyone was going to be able to tell us apart. And well, I not only tell us apart, but like think of us as individuals, we would forever and always be linked. Yeah. So as far as roles and, you know, teachers, for example, there's no world in which all the teachers would care enough to take the time to tell the difference between us. They just won't do that. And not everyone, especially older ones or especially ones that don't really care. And anyway, and I didn't I. It was important to me to get an education as me as Claire, you know, that people would know me that way and that people would treat me that way. And I wanted to know what that was because I had no experience with just being known as Claire. And that was a very important uh, factor in how I wanted to treat those four years in college. And as far as, you know, Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon, that was definitely a dream school for me it was one of those things that like definitely in my top three but I always say after it was my top three I'd be like but I'm not going to get in because it's the probability yeah it's Carnegie Mellon uh anyway but then I did and so yeah mom made it work with money and being able to go there and it was an amazing four years and I and I loved it and you know it was also really wonderful not only for my own experience, but also for Alana and I's relationship specifically, because, you know, previously we had been walking alongside each other in life, you know, everywhere that she went, I was just there. And so we never actually honed the skills to communicate with each other. Like it was funny when people, people would talk, you know, we'd be like, but I don't want to go to this place alone, like in high school or middle school. And people's response would be like, yeah, but you have Claire with you. And our response would be like, no, that doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah. So for growing up, we didn't really count each other as another individual because they were, you know, she was just there. She was just like part of, part of my life. Anyway, so going to school separately, it actually caused us to learn to talk, to communicate about things. Previously, the only way that we would communicate about our feelings is if we were in this room while the other one was telling a friend about their experience. We so very rarely talked to each other about what we are experiencing and feeling. And so, you know, not only those kinds of conversations, but learning how to like comfort each other or like what we needed in communication, even though we knew, you know, to actually put it into practice with each other, we had to learn, which again, was a really wonderful thing about spending so much time apart. It just makes so much sense. I mean, of course, it would benefit your relationship in that way, but it's so refreshing to hear it firsthand from you where you're like, yeah, we were like an entity, you know, we didn't really communicate to each other because we were, the other one was always there. And I just want to take a moment, Claire, to congratulate you on that radical act of self-love of, uh, <laughs> yeah, of, of choosing. Thanks. And that doesn't mean that you, you don't love your siblings or you don't want to be with them, but everything that you're saying, you know, it's, it's, um, we have to do those things for ourselves. No one is going to do it for us. And, and mm-hmm. also what, what might work for you might not work for your siblings or even your friends or parents or any other human. So being that purposeful about going away to a different school and cultivating your individual experience, that just sounds really badass. So congratulations on that. She's been a badass for years. 
And then, you know, my going to Miami was almost completely opposite of that because I actually went to school with two of my older brothers. And you wanted to be with them? You're like, yay, I'm going to follow you or. Yeah, well, yeah, I I have always been a little bit, a little less individual. (laughs) And in that, I mean that my, I didn't, I didn't know for sure really what I wanted to do. Claire knew that she wanted to do musical theater. And I, in my mind, because I've been the forever caretaker, I was like, I feel like we probably need a doctor in the family. There's like, gotta be someone. (laughs) Yeah, because you were pre-med, right? Yeah, well, yeah, so I did, so I took pre-med classes, I, so I wanted to go to a school that was part of a bigger school, you know, so I could take outside classes, and so my, I, even though I couldn't decide on what I wanted to do, I decided to do what I loved to do, which was musical theater, and all the way through junior year, I still hadn't made the decision that I was going to stay with musical theater, and so I took pre-med classes, because I was like, okay, I want to be able to leave college, and if I decide to go back to school and do med school, I would only want to go to undergrad for another year to complete my credits to be able mm. to apply for med school, because a backup plan is med school is, makes complete sense. So I was deciding to do that, so let's see, when I was a freshman, Trent was a junior, and Heath was a senior, so we had one year where we were all together, Um, And then my second year, Trent was still there. And then my time where I decided to be an individual and to not be in a place where everyone knew me before I got there, um, my junior year, I decided to go study abroad in London because my boyfriend, the boyfriend that I had in sophomore year, when I was having a breakdown (laughs) of, you know, college, how it goes. Yeah, um, keeping it real here. Yeah, you know, when I was having a breakdown one day and like I didn't know what I wanted and he was like, okay, and like he sat me down and he was like, okay, what do you want to do? What is something you have always wanted to do and you haven't? And my immediate answer, because I always, you know, I get convoluted with what other people want and like I turn those into my wants and Mm. so trying to figure out what I wanted, it has always been a very difficult thing for me um, because mm. I want other people to be ha- like, it, it's, it's just forever my struggle. Pleasing people and taking care of them and being like, oh, you're good. Okay. Everyone's good. Okay. This, okay. That. Yeah. But you matter. What do you want? Yeah, no, it's been, that has been a, I continue even within to this year. I, it's been the point of active growth that I've struggled with. Studying abroad was something that I always like said, but never really took into action. And my school actually, my program didn't have a study abroad program, um, but I ended up writing, a, I went and researched programs. Um, and then I ended up writing a proposal to this one school in London, Mount View Academy of Theater Arts. That wasn't actually, you know, people coming from one school to go to. I went by myself to London without any one of my classmates. I wrote up a proposal for my teachers being like, okay, this class in London equals this class that I would take here and this class and this class. And I did a whole presentation to the head of my department. Um, Anyway, so they ended up letting me go. Um, And like that was a crazy thing to enter into space because at that point, that was my junior year of college, I had never been anywhere that my siblings hadn't been first. Wow. Which is crazy, you know, as a 20-year-old 20, 20 to experience that for the first time. I was like, I, I can be talented or I could not be talented. Like, I could not be talented and like that could be a thing. Yeah. So that was kind of the start of my own. Because then when I came back to school, my brother was no longer there. 
so then I got to have my own time and also that was when I decided to do musical theater. I was like, if I go and study abroad, I lose a semester of being able to take academic classes, you know, those pre-med mm-hmm. classes. Mm-hmm. So at that point I committed. That that was a that was it for me. That is also um really awesome thing to do for yourself because you're like, well, you know, I'm not thinking anymore about the need of having a doctor in the family and this is my passion. So I'm just going to do it. I'm going to commit. And also, I just want to thank you for sharing your struggle with that, that constant balance between taking care of yourself and taking care of others. I felt very seen when you were talking about that uh, a little while ago because I grew up a people pleaser and a caretaker. And yeah. I was always the mom of my group of friends Uh-huh. I grew up like emotionally taking care of my brother and my mom and everyone around me and always a strong one. And still to this day, I, I want everyone to be, you know, like happy and content and good. But also now it's I I am my priority, you know, like what what do I need? What what mental space do I need? Physical space, my rest, my alone time, my creative time. What kind of support do I need? And I, yeah, I felt and very correct. And I felt very alone growing up. And even and by growing up, I mean even like three, four years ago. For sure, mm-hmm. I would say that into this year. <laughs> yeah, no, and you know, still it kind of happens because you know, with some old relationships, you have some um, habits and vices that uh-huh. have created in those dynamics. But I feel like I am to a work in progress in many things. Thank you for sharing that, that struggle. And thank you for doing the work. Yeah, of course. It's, it's, you know, it's, and the, you know, the, the growth and the struggle and the challenge does not stop. It's not like I've now figured it out and like that's now it's easy. It's, it's a con, you know, it's a daily thing to remind myself that I have to do the things that, you know, I am the only one who can do the things that I want. So like blaming that on other people when those don't happen, like, or when I, or I don't even think about it. And then all of a sudden I find myself getting irritable and I literally can't handle anything. And I'm like, oh, I haven't taken my alone time, even though I'm an extrovert and I get my energy from other people, alone time and, uh, cope, you know, Uh, taking care of myself and going into myself and having literally doing nothing but being alone is so important to yes. be able to exist in the world and give energy to other people. Yes, yes, yes. All of the things you said, yes. I'm also an extrovert <laughs> and I, I get my energy from socializing and being out there. But I found that in the same magnitude of my extrovertedness and my in my bubbly energy in that same magnitude or amount I need alone time and rest for sure so and it took a you know a long time to understand that about myself yeah well, we're, we I think we are all a work in progress and as long as we acknowledge that we're you know working shedding light on those things about ourselves it's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a beautiful thing because we never really stop growing or learning no ma'am Okay, so now that you're in New York, uh, you've been working there for a few years. What are the projects that have brought the most joy for you? What are the projects where you feel like you've grown or learned the most um, or co just cool projects that you were happy to be part of? Um, let's see. The, probably the first show that I did or the first 
project that I did moving to New York um, was one of the more ridiculous things that's ever happened to me. Um, so I moved to New York and um, so you know the live shows, so they did Sound of Music live um, mm -hmm. and they did uh, The Wiz live, um, before that was Peter Pan live and I found that they were doing that and that they wanted someone of Native American um, descent to play Tiger Lily. Um, and in our family, we've always talked about how we're descendant of the Cherokee Nation, but like we never, it's not something that we regularly talk about. Like it, it was just, and so I went to my agent that I literally just signed with oh, the week upon arriving um, to New York. And I was like, hey, can you get me an appointment for Peter Pan Live? And they're like, actually, they're not doing appointments. You have to go to the open call. So I submitted myself to this open call and I got a time slot and then I proceeded to go on this month and a half long kind of auditioning, going back in and learning dances and doing scenes and doing songs. Um, and that, that started two weeks after I moved to the city. Um, and then a month and a half later, I found out that I had booked the show. Wow. Two weeks. Yeah, it was. I I literally moved to the city, and then that was it. Like I I went to go get a job, and then I didn't even. I worked at that job for like a month, and then I was like, I have to go do rehearsals, and that was crazy because I was literally among you know Allison Williams and Christopher Walken, um, and then like Christian Borle, who's a huge Broadway veteran human, uh, Kelly O'Hara, and the entire ensemble um, had been on Broadway and performed on the Tonys and on the Oscars and literally like every single person in that cast the more that I learned about them it was every day it was like what am I doing here this is insane for me at 22 years old I, I just had complete joy doing that and so much fun and to do also this new medium of theater but you don't have an audience and you literally only get to do it once and it's on camera and it's uh, a really wonderful and amazing experience. Um, and then probably the most recent project I did, which was Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on Broadway, and I made my Broadway debut, was probably the second most, well, it was just a ridiculous experience in a different way in the fact <laughs> that I was in the wizarding world. And that is a little bit of the dream for me because we, me and my family have always been huge Harry Potter fans. Every single time the book came out, you know, we would get four copies so we could all read them at the same time and there would be a line of who got to read the book next. And so getting to do that was another, it was a dream come true in a different way because, you know, Broadway. Yeah. Wow. It sounds so cool. And I just got chills. And sometimes things don't go as we plan and some others thing go so not as we planned that it it did end up being ridiculous and cool and amazing. Mm -hmm. And it sounds, yeah, I can just, yeah, I was picturing you there on set among all of those people. <laughs> and, you know, that's a really cool start to your career. And also two weeks into a new city. Well, congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. What about you, Claire? I've done actually, I've done some, some cool things, I suppose. You really um, have. Your project yeah. happened right when you got to the city, too, really. Yeah, I booked pretty much right when I got to the city, also. Um, <laughs> it was. Oh my God, you're so talented. To be fair, though, Alon actually like fully auditioned. My booking was a one liner in a movie, you know, <laughs> which I booked several kind of one or two liners since then. And they, 
it, they're funny auditions because you can't really act your way into booking a one line. Just like, is the is your look the thing they want? And do they like your energy or like your smile or your hair or something? But uh, anyway, so I auditioned for the movie The Intern, you know, with Anne Hathaway yes. and Robert De Niro. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, and I remember getting that audition. And this was my, my first one line audition, one liner audition, which now it's like a normal thing. But I laughed when I got the audition because I opened up the sides and the one line was thank you. That was the line. <laughs> and I was like, they want me to go audition and say well, thank, thank you. you in front of a camera, you know? And I was like, what? This is stupid. Anyway, and then uh, I went in there and the guy who was running auditions, like kind of had me do like a whole kind of scene work with it, you know, that I was like pushing a card and it was like heavy and, you know, I was like exhausted and people weren't helping. And then anyway, he like painted the whole scene for me. And then I got a call back to do a screen test for it. And what I really loved about that moment actually was that, everyone who was in for the role that I was in looked different. There was like a white girl. There was like a darker skinned black girl. There was an Asian girl. And mm. anyway, so I really love that. that's rare. <laughs> yeah, that's rare that there's a role like that, that they're actually call, calling back a gamut of ethnicities because usually they're pinpointing kind of one look yes. for it. Anyway, and even though it was a one-liner, it still made an impact on me in that way. Anyway, so I was like in front of Nancy Myers and... um Nancy Myers and Bernie Telsey for that audition, for that callback, for that screen test. And they like had me take my hair down. And then anyway, so then I booked it, which was exciting. So then I was on set. I ended up being on set for seven weeks on what? this movie. Wait, wait, wait. You, your one-liner was thank you and you were on set for seven weeks? Yeah, because so uh, the way the reason this was the case is because where my character's desk was, was at the desk with Robert De Niro and Adam Devine and Zachary Perlman. Anyway, all the main characters, I was at that oh. desk. And so basically they needed me there because if the camera panned and I would have been seen, they needed me there just in case. Mind you, I only got on set about four times over those seven weeks. And And the process of it was a little bit uh, slower than they were anticipating. So anyway, it was a little bit of a convoluted process, but I got to hang out with these people. So like I hung out with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway and I, you know, met a good friend of mine, Christina, who plays the receptionist. And this was like my first job in the city. That is so cool. Yeah. And my tiny little line made it into the movie and... Yeah, so if you, you watch, you'll be able to catch me about four times. You know what? I I did read that you were in that movie, and I did watch the movie when it came out. And I was just, like, trying really hard to picture you, like, where... where... Uh, the, yeah, so the, the scene, the, my line comes in. It's about, like, 25 minutes into the movie. I'm, I have long hair. It's pulled back in a ponytail. I have a green jacket on, and I have this cart, this mail cart that's, like, stuck on... Mm. Uh, because it's heavy and Robert De Niro comes up and he's like, how about I push and you deliver? And then I'm like, thank you. Thank you. And, okay. <laughs> and then I'm okay, well this is, I'm super curious about this. So if you are spending seven weeks on set, even though, mm -hmm. I mean, and you have to be around like on your desk, but you only have one line, do they pay you for those seven weeks? Or they pay yes, you? Yes, they do. Yep. Okay. So okay. I was on, so this, right, yeah. So I made a lot of money off of this one That's line. That's amazing. Right. And then to be honest, it's, it's paid for a big portion of my life since then because of residuals and things. Wow. So there's two ways you can get paid on set. There is a daily rate and then there's a weekly rate. 
And at first, initially, when I got my contract, I was going to be on a daily rate because I thought I was only their original plan was like to have me there for like maybe three days. And mm-hmm. then I went on a weekly rate after basically starting the first week. So then I got seven weeks of weekly pay. So as far as I think, as far as my residuals go, is based on the percentage that I was already paid. So it doesn't, the residuals, from my understanding, doesn't have to do with how many lines you have or how much screen time, but how much you were paid for the actual work you did. This is so enlightening. So I thought actors were only paid for, you know, their services or or the work they do in a film. But then residuals are like royalties for musicians where if the movie, like, how is it that you are still earning from that? Right. Because so, for example, so there was so there's the first round of things. Right. So there's like the movie theaters. So that's you can make money that way. And then when it comes out on DVD, there's money to be made there. And then when it goes on to Hulu or to Netflix or to and in the case of the intern, for example, the intern is like a classic airplane movie. Like everyone has yeah. seen that movie on an airplane. So I imagine that that's where most of my residuals are coming from because, you know, oh. the airlines buy the movie and then like how many times people watch the movie or whatever. I don't know where all that money is or where it trickles down, but there's a lot of ways that you can get a movie. And uh, so I get paid tiny percentages of all of that. And then it ends but up it's in still, one it's check. A- It's an it's an income that's gonna keep coming because because the movie is gonna be out forever. That is so interesting. Right. Yeah. So I think about what it's it's crazy to me that that it's affected my life so much in this like movie that's like relatively successful and and but I have a, such a tiny part in. And then I think of like movie stars, you know, who are in these huge movies and these huge movies that are successful for years, you know, like the intern is like on the back burner now, but like Black Panther, for example, you know what I mean? Oh like my if God. we think about how much money they made making the movie and then how much money they're making in residuals. And then they're still constantly making successful movies and they're making more money. Anyway, they get exponentially richer. Sometimes I think about so this and I get passionate. I'm a big movie. <laughs> movie fan and series and, and documentaries and things. And I had I I didn't know this. I thought I knew that actors would get paid a lot of money when like shows like Friends, you know, where they were syndicated and and then they earned a residual per episode and, you know, the, these giant deals. But I didn't know this. Wow. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Uh, it, this course. is super interesting. And now I know that I need to get into the business, into the movie business, because I'll just earn money forever. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, good luck with that. But totally. <laughs> in, in, in theory, that's great. But anyway, I got stuck on that project. My other, probably my, uh, I've done a lot of cool projects for different reasons, but I would say for wow factor, the my most recent project is probably interesting of late, which is, uh, I did a production of this play called Cyrano. Do you know the the story of Cyrano de Bergerac? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the guy with the big nose, right. And so I got cast in this 10 person production last summer that was a musical with the, the band, the national, do you know who they are? Yes. I know who they are. They're amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. And also really cool guys. But they wrote the musical, I mean, the music for this adaptation written by Erica Schmidt, who is Peter Dinklage's wife. Mm. So so Peter Dinklage played Cyrano in this production, uh, which was amazing and so cool. And he's amazing and a really strong actor. 
But it was also really interesting experience for me because everyone, all the leads in that show were from film. So we had Peter Dinklage, who's Peter Dinklage, who's an international you know, film star. And then there's, there was Haley Bennett, who she, did you see a girl on the train? Yes. She was not, not Emily Blunt, but the other woman in it. Yes. The yeah. nanny. So, so Haley was in that. And then also Blake Jenner, he was on Glee for like four years. Yes. Anyway. So those, so these were our three leads, which was really interesting to have these, film actors come over to be on stage which you know it's a very different set of skills to be on stage versus being on camera and so to be in the background kind of watching them figure this this out this thing that I've been doing since I was you know nine you know and this medium that they're not as used to but also being the most kind of nobody of the cast, you know, because it was not only our movie stars, but then we had like Broadway veterans in this production. And anyway, I also had one of those moments where with Alana hadn't, when she was Tiger Lily of like, how did I get here? Like, how am I in this room with all of these people, but also to feel so much an equal to them too, you know, that it wasn't like this hierarchy where I felt less than by being around them. It was just a very, uh, empowering experience yeah, it sounds exactly it was empowering it was kind of like oh no somebody put me in this room with these people for a reason you know that the, that I am supposed to soak up this they are no better than me necessarily and I'm, I'm just saying in terms of not diminishing myself based on my fame you know yes that when we're just working on a show that people care about that you can actually meet people there Anyway, so it was a very unique and cool and, yeah, just wonderful experience to be able to do that on the groundwork. That's amazing. It sounds super cool. <laughs> so, okay, I want to ask you about your fitness journey. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I read Perfect. that you're both passionate about fitness. So how does that play into your life? Yeah, so we always, so we danced a a lot and we played basketball growing up and we're always physical in that way. And then when we got to college, it was kind of this like, Oh, we got to work ourselves out kind of thing. So we had to figure out what we like to do physically, how to work ourselves out. And we both in college kind of found that a little separately. I got really pretty heavily into running Alana because she had had a spine injury. She broke her back essentially Mm. Uh, before college and so she kind of had a different kind of rehab and relationship with how to take care of herself physically in that way but yeah I would say that when I got to the city I kind of fell in love with group fitness first I would say I think group fitness is amazing I think it's a space where you get to kind of show up and then people just tell you what to do you know and the thing that you have to do is show up to class and then that that's the hard part Uh, and I think because I think everyone should be physically active in some way and that, you know, if you say, oh, working out's just not for me, I'm kind of like, you just haven't tried enough things yet because there is something for everyone. I, I really do believe that. And the way that I feel empowered and beautiful and strong by being physically capable in the way that we are. So group fitness was the first thing. And then when Alana and I went off and did a show together, oh, this is a, this is a good plot point. (laughs) <laughs> we, <laughs> Alan and I about three years ago did a show together up in the Berkshires in Massachusetts 
a production of Pirates of Penzance where we got to be twins and sisters on stage, which was very fun to do. For you, was it just like uh, being yourselves with your sister? Yeah, I mean, we, it was kind of like an extreme version of like our playful selves. <laughs> it was just the first time that we had been able to basically craft together because, you know, we both had gone to school and we both had had the training and we finally got to come together and do what we do best, which is, you know, musical theater. And then on top of that, get to be actively act identical twins, which we're great at. Like, that's, we never of get to do that. Of course you're great at. <laughs> But we spend so much time not being twins, you know, for everyone else's benefit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for ours and, yeah. Anyway, so it's kind of fun to be able to lean into that. Um, what was my story here? Oh, it's about fitness. Working out. So while we were there, we basically did a weightlifting program that I would say really hit home of never looking back in terms of our physical journey because we spent six weeks heavily lifting weights, learning the gym and how to target muscles, target muscle groups. And anyway, from there, it's just kind of been a never ending, like, let me have more information. Let me get better at this. Let me get stronger. Let me mm. try more things. Uh, but I, we both just really love being strong. It's really empowering. And I love that you both love being strong. That's yeah. Well, it's not, it's not really about how we look. I mean, how we look is a byproduct to me, a symptom of taking care of my body, you know, but it's more about like, oh, this body can run 13 miles. This body can do, you know, 25 pushups unbroken or whatever that is. You know, it's like really empowering to be in this body because of what it can accomplish. And I really, you know, as far as our muggle jobs, what we like to call the jobs that aren't our acting jobs that we have to take when we need to make money. So I'm a fitness instructor as of now as my muggle job. And I've loved that a lot more than like waiting tables or the other things I've done because I have a passion for fitness. It's not the career that I want to go into, but I really do. You enjoy it. Enjoy, yeah, I enjoy it. And I enjoy inspiring people and pushing people and making people smile while they're working out. You know, I, I work at a group fitness gym with like DJs and lights and it's oh my kind of God, like a dance party. But, like, so cool. <laughs> yeah. The first time I experienced that was when I was living in Australia It felt like a club, like there were like lights and music and the dude was just like high on fitness journey. And I was like, what, what, where, where am I? And then I experienced yeah. that at a different level here in Portland. And you know what? You just inspire me. I have like four or five prepaid classes that are just like there. So I'm just gonna this week, you've inspired me to yes, go and use too. those classes and do it and just like feel stronger. So thank you for that. Of course. So now we're moving into the lightning round. What is your favorite word? The word uh, dreamt. Mm. Uh, I don't it's not actually the word meaning that is pleasing to me, actually the word itself, the way it feels in my mouth, the way it sounds, the, the DR next to each other and the MT next to each other, I just think is so beautiful. Dreamt. But I would actually, it's so funny, I would have either chosen seek or like for you. Oh, well, those words are, uh, dreamt is the word I like saying the most, but you're right, that seek to me is definitely my word as far as my favorite word and what means, like it's tattooed on my body. Wow. 
yeah, it's a it's a word to me that means moving towards something, but not not because you're unsatisfied with where you are. Uh, mm. There is a, a a joy and a peace and a contentment in seeking that means a lot to me, both in you know this in my faith journey, but also in this industry, but also with myself. Um, that it's a moving word, you know, and and I'm someone who is constantly in active pursuit of growth. So anyway, it sits really well in my core. That is beautiful. What was a toy that you always wanted but never had? What about what about um, uh, uh, the oven, the Easy Bake Oven? The Easy Bake we, Oven. I, I thought, <laughs> we got an Easy Bake Oven. Oh, do we have it? Do we only use it for yeah. like a second? Okay, I got an Easy Bake Oven. It was my Easy Bake Oven. So maybe okay. that's what you wanted. Oh, oh okay. okay. <laughs> uh, but I love the Easy Bake Oven. What came out of that thing was magic. Magic and in 32 hours for a brownie, you know? <laughs> okay, what is your relationship with grief? Do you want to go on it? You go. Sure. Um, I think that the first time that I've ever... Ex so with grief, um, my immediate reaction to that is loss. Mm. And I haven't... We haven't really had a huge amount of loss in our lives. Um, I... The first time was actually this past year, um, in 2017, actually, um, when we lost our grandfather, my dad's dad. And that was the first, I, you know, I, I have my three other grandparents um, who are I am close to. And the idea of grief is this emptying feeling. Um, and losing my grandfather was the first time that I've ever lost someone that's a part of me. Um, I'm very fortunate to say that. And it was kind of an, a shockingly overwhelming thing to deal with that, knowing that I literally wouldn't, whew, just gets me going right now, um, that, you that you never see that person again. Yeah. Someone who you are so used to being able to see, or, you know, the idea that you could see them at any point goes away. And like, that is huge. And he was the patriarch of our family. What was your grandfather's name? Uh, his name was Ralph, and we called him Big Daddy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Let's see. What would be your dream collaboration? Who would you love to uh, work with? Like if tomorrow there was a genie that could grant that wish, who would you like to work with? My cop-out answer for this, and I say cop-out because, you know, maybe it's not a good answer, but... You know, it's like also the the question of what's your dream role. This to me feels similar in that vein, mm -hmm. which I and often what I say with that is that my dream role, my dream team, my dream collaborator is I don't know who they are yet. You know, there's someone up and coming. There's someone who's on the ground and working on the thing, you know, that, that it's not someone in the commercial world yet. Mm -hmm. Because the people that I want to be making stories with from the ground up are people who are challenging what's being put out right now. You know, like Jordan Peele, for example, I think is a really is an interesting story maker right now because, you know, he comes from this world of comedy and yet he's kind of bringing up this really serious and thoughtful storytelling, not always like for everyone's cup of tea, but he's like saying things. And I think mm -hmm. that that is interesting and important and anyway so I would venture to say that my ideal collaborator is someone who we don't know yet because 
if we knew them, then I, I just think there's more, there's room to grow in terms of the way we tell stories and what stories we're telling. And anyway, I think that requires a, a new mind that maybe I don't know the person yet. What was the last gift you gave someone? I brought Alana and my boyfriend's donuts this morning. <laughs> mm, that's a good gift. After CrossFit class. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question is, and I want you both to answer this question. What is a moment when you feel magical? That question literally just like brought lightness to my heart and then I just tears. I think probably maybe when I got both when I got the call about Harry Potter and then getting to be a wizard on stage, on a Broadway stage and do an incredibly magical show with people that I love deeply, doing what I love deeply, um, that It was easy, even in my 15 months, so in my 15 months of being at Harry Potter, the, you know, it was trying, you know, eventually it does become a job, but I loved the show and I loved the people and like that, that's a little bit it when it comes to our job. If we, I was always able to come back to the reason of why I do it. Thank you. That does sound magical, literally and metaphorically. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that. What about you, Claire? This brings back up when Alana was talking about, you know, my words being seek and light. So I, you know, I think I, other people, but I can't really speak for other people's, but I specifically exist with light, you know, that I'm given a unending source of light. And, and, and that is a very actually kind of visual thing that I live with, that I have a bright source in, in me and, and I can share that with people. And sometimes it feels easy to share with people, but the reason that I do what I do, one that I, that I am an actor that I tell stories is because it's the best way that I know how to share my light with as many people as possible. So I feel magical when I get to do that, when I'm, you know, when I'm on stage and I'm standing in front of all of these people and moving them with whatever story it is that I'm telling, you know, or if it's, a, if it's singing or if it's a, a word or if it's a moment, you know, but I definitely feel magical when I get to transform a space or someone's reality for an hour, two hours or whatever the time of that show is. Um, you transform yourself. Yeah, transform myself. I feel I feel magical when I get to transform in that way. And that can come in just singing through a song. That can come sometimes in like a dance class when we get to dance. But definitely doing my job, my career, my passion, it makes me feel magical. And that's why I do it. That's why we do it. That's why I'm pursuing this and continue to pursue it, even though it's extremely challenging and trying and hard and unpredictable. But it's continues to be worth it for the magic. Oh, thank you so much for sharing all of your feelings and thoughts and experiences with me. This has been so interesting and inspiring. And mm -hmm. thank you for the work you do. And thank you for being so passionate about it, for being so intentional. Just thank you. Of course. Thanks for having us. Yeah, truly. This is an absolute delight. Thank you. 
This is what I'm taking away with my conversation with Claire and Alana Saunders. Number one, thank your parents for signing you up for classes at an early age. It's an act of love and possibly a sacrifice, and it impacts your life profoundly. Number two, seeing and treating your siblings and parents as grown-ups, as individual human beings, is a far more beneficial and supportive place to meet from. Number three, sometimes physical and geographical distance can help immensely with clear communication in a relationship with a loved one. Don't be afraid to try it. You have to create new pathways to communicate feelings, ideas, and needs. And that is a beautiful thing. Number four, radical acts of self-love, choosing yourself over everything else, is a powerful and oh-so-rewarding thing to do. It enables and empowers you to really know yourself. In short, it makes you a better human. And that helps everyone around you. Number five, breakdowns are more common than you think. It's a normal part of being a human being. So please know you are not alone and trust that you will figure it out. Number six, if you want to go somewhere, work somewhere, or study somewhere where it's not an option on paper, make it happen. You have nothing to lose and everything to win. Number seven, taking care of yourself and having alone time, it's so important to be able to exist in the world and give energy to other people. You are the most important thing. If you're good, then everything else is good. Number eight, be ready. Your dream opportunity might be around the corner. So be ready for when you get the call, see the sign, or are invited to join. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby. Mm-hmm.